if we just recorded the entire episode with a British accent for this one? I don't think that would be sustainable, Tony. For you, maybe. Because I haven't got a very good English accent. And if I did that, I'd have to record the whole thing with one headphone off of me right here. Why is that? Because otherwise I can't hear myself talking all that much and I've got no idea if my impression's accurate or if it's trash. You kind of sound like the shame wizard already, you know? Tony, are we recording now? Is this your way of recording now? I don't know. We just have to keep going. And at one point it will be recording and at another point we will be talking about it. <laughs> I can't tell by your eyes if you're lying to me, Tony. I've been told I have a great poker face. <laughs> I, I kind of take that as a compliment I mean you have a really funny face <laughs> Yeah Steve Buscemi apparently No handsome Steve Buscemi That doesn't make it better I don't know why we have to go through this anymore. You've never seen Boardwalk Empire You don't know how dapper Nucky Thompson Always looked His name is Nucky Nucky You can't sell me on a character by comparing me to someone named Nucky Thompson. Okay, Boardwalk Empire is the most gorgeous uh, prestige TV show ever made. Ugh. Okay, and, and and I'm comparing you to the lead actor of that program. That so that doesn't... is a goddamn compliment. Did you just call it a program? I did. I mean... Um, well, I think you've got the accent down, even if you're not using it. You've got all the words, right? Are we recording? The program. <laughs> Are we recording the program? Do you have your club soda? Are you ready to go? I've got me coffee and I've got a club soda and I'm ready to fucking record when you are, you bastard. Well, let's just pretend we're recording and at one point I'll hit record. You have to try to look at my face to see if I make a little puff on the blowhole right in front of me. <laughs> I feel like with a British accent, you can get away with saying things like cook. Because it just sounds quite precise. I'm not very confident in this accent, to tell you the truth. Honestly, I feel I feel it's a pretty good one, yeah? I mean, mine's not very good. I kind of sound a little bit rubbish, but I like it. It's not true, you know? All your accents are charming. My favourite of your accents. I'm charming. They're very charming, it's true. I actually have a bit of a fantasy that I could, like, go to a pharmacy and be like, yeah... You know, I've I've always wanted my prescription and I'm here to pick it up and just see. Like, you know, like somewhere like where they don't they don't really know me and now go there. Well, now I'm saying there, <laughs> I don't even really know what, what's going on. And suddenly you have a Texas draw. Yeah, I'm here to pick up my accent. <laughs> my accent. <laughs> I was, I was a prescribed a British accent. And it's a suppository, so if you could administer it, please. <laughs> I definitely feel like I'd have a different voice if I had to get a suppository. I'd be like, all right, it's going in. Have you ever had ever? Let's not talk about suppositories right now. No, I, I, I have had. Yeah, we talked about this in our very first episode when we discussed bedpans. That's right. But we did say we'd circle back, so maybe now is appropriate. You still haven't you know, told me we're recording. <laughs> I'll just talk for two hours and be like, oh shit, I didn't record. Because <laughs> I feel like it, when I tell you that we hit record, then you get in your own head. So now you don't know if we've been recording or if I'm going to hit record right before I ask you, like, 
what did you think of the movie today? Or, <laughs> you know, so Jesus, you're like the doctor right before he sticks me with a needle. Yeah, you you try to like you know distract him with a lollipop. In this <laughs> case, it's a lollipop. A lollipop, yeah. I, I really like this accent, and I feel like well, I almost feel like you'd be a bit smarter if you talk like this. And I wonder if they hear that all the time, and they're like, "Get off of me!" You know, I'm not smarter. And then also sometimes I listen to people like, you know, like British rap songs where they talk like this, but they're saying gangster shit. And it doesn't really have the same effect, you know? Because it's like the erudite gangster. Yeah, well, it's like, he sounds really cool, but he's still saying like, I'm gonna fuck all your bitches and shit, and you know? And it's just like, yeah, well, it doesn't go hand in hand. Like, I don't think bitches drink, eat crumpets, you know what I mean? (laughs) Bitches don't drink tea, do they? Bitches don't drink tea and eat crumpets for afternoon. Yeah, they don't play um, crochet or whatever it is. (laughs) <laughs> croquet, yeah. Croquet. <laughs> you don't play knitting. <laughs> you don't play weaveries. Yeah, I could keep that accent up all day, but I don't know if it's offensive to do that. I'm pretty um, sure it is. Like, I'm pretty sure. Really? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, remember how I told you I used to have that um, big brother kind of guy who would come over and hang out with me? Basically, to make me feel less lonely. Oh my God, where is this going? I told you, right? You did, yeah. Yeah, so I was probably like fourteen. Oh God, this is a this is taking. No, no, no. It's not. It's not a depressing story. (laughs) I know that I've given you my fair share of those, so it's fair for you to think that that might be where this is headed. But he was like, he's like, you know what I have been wondering lately? Why do they call it a blow job? a blow job when you're not supposed to blow you're supposed to suck and i was like 14 years old and i knew it was inappropriate for him to be talking about this with me honestly that comment has stuck with me because i still haven't figured out the answer are you expecting me to give one or provide one do you have one an answer not a blow job i don't have an answer i mean yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I don't know. All right, well, I'll tell you, we are recording. And the reason we're recording is because we watched another movie. We did. Yeah. It was called The Theory of Nothing Special. Yeah, I'm not really ready to talk about it, though. Why? I don't know. That's just like, I don't know. Is there anything else we can talk about first? I can tell you my awkward disability story of the week. Yeah, okay, you have one. Yeah, so remember in a previous episode, I was talking about how I have a sore on the back of my heel, my right foot? Yeah. Did you already talk about how your doctor gave no. you, like, the whole... Oh, yeah, okay. No, so I, I, um, I went to a foot clinic during COVID. Yeah. I basically, like, went into this, like, really claustrophobic office, like, with a male nurse. Um, I was in my manual chair with my dad and he actually accompanied me into the doctor's office, which I guess is a little weird because I'm 33 years old and, you know, I'm a grown man and I don't need my like dad. Like weird that you let him or weird that he did it? Well, it, it just sort of happened because he like invited me to come into the back and my dad just kind of pushed me there because he's like an automaton. He's like, I have to push my son to his appointment. So he just ended up in the room. Well, I mean, it probably would have taken a lot longer if you had to wheel yourself, right? Well, Tony, I could have done it, okay? 
Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> you are the doctor because you have dumb feet. So that's true. That's true. So I, I I went to the doctor and he took a look at my heel and he said I was healing quite nicely and that he wouldn't classify it as an injury. Uh, and then he he trimmed my toenails methodically for about two oh, really two two minutes. Yeah, it was really gross. And then he like slathered my toes in like uh, oh. foot cream. Yeah, and then he like put put on these like knitted socks and then my shoes, and then uh, he gave me a really strange compliment. Knitted, like wait, so he gave you like prescription socks? Like they weren't your socks that you came in with? Oh, they're, sorry, they were. I was just wearing heavy socks because my feet are blue. Oh yeah, because the way you described it was like either you were writing a novel or you were given his socks. I mean, it was just a necessary detail because the socks take forever to put on my feet because uh, my feet are stubborn. You know how like the crippled feet are like dead weight and you really have to like negotiate with them whenever you want to yeah. put them in socks or shoes. They're just a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. You know what I'm talking like, about, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, we've talked about feet an uncomfortable amount of times. Yeah. And this is definitely the worst conversation we've had about feet. Yeah. I mean, they're just really like cumbersome and redundant limbs. And I just, I'm always fighting with my feet. But I mean, that's not even fair because like of all disabled people, like I can list people and I'd put myself somewhere on that list of people who really don't even need them. But you actually, yeah, but you stand on them. Okay. I suppose you're right. Like they're not, they're not that redundant for you. I, okay. I yeah. I kind of do get in on my feed quite a bit, and it's not really fair to you. It's not fair to your feed either. No, that's true. What did he slather on them? I can't believe I just asked that question. I don't know. It was just like some like random over the counter like skin cream, or if there was something super special in the realm of podiatry. Was he I wearing no gloves? Idea. What? Was he wearing gloves? Yeah, of course, in a full hazmat suit because my feet are disgusting. No, he was wearing gloves. Do you think it, it was pandemic gloves or disgusting feet gloves? It was disgusting feet gloves because he had to put his fingers in between my toes. And like, right. I mean, that's a, that's a terrible safety hazard. Yeah. Like that's worse than Chernobyl between my toes. Yeah. I mean, I, there's probably like living creatures in there. Absolutely. Yeah. More sophisticated than I am. But you said you had a compliment for you. Yeah, well, he said, he's like, you know, I've dealt with a lot of people who have like malformed uh, and twisted feet like yours and yours by far look the healthiest. <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? Is that How do you saying? call them healthy after that? Yeah. I didn't say is... excuse me. I said thank you because I'm a fucking coward. <laughs> then you start blushing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like give him my number or something. Yeah. <laughs> Immediately, that's the last line on your dating profile. <laughs> I like start posting like uh, like foot pictures, foot, foot pics on Instagram and shit. I don't mean to brag, but <laughs> a doctor once told me I had nice feet for an invalid. <laughs> like just because he didn't immediately puke when he saw them. Do you think that foot doctors in general like feet or just? have nothing else to do with their medical career 
I think it's a good idea to specialize as a nurse if you don't want to end up in the ER or in some wing of the hospital that is just deeply depressing. Uh, you don't think it's depressing to just stare at disgusting feet all day? Well, it's far less depressing than having to deal with people like on death's door or something. Yeah, but I think the appeal to like the ICU is that it's like high pace and you're constantly trying to solve the next medical problem. I could see that being appealing between the ages of 25 and 38. But then after that, it's just like, good God, get me into a foot clinic. That's true. So was he an older guy? He was, yeah. He was He was like fit, though. He like looked after himself. Not that that's a necessary detail. He's seen firsthand or first foot the effects of... <laughs> oh, Tony! <laughs> the, the jokes are afoot! <laughs> I probably went in the red on there. Yeah, he definitely clipped up for sure just like he did to your toenails <laughs> <laughs> audio jokes oh god so tony yeah are you ready to talk about the theory of nothing special yeah well all right so i want we watched this movie and i really thought it would be a movie that i could you know get you excited about and i'd right. seen it before and you know it was not through a lens of criticism as much as just an easy movie to watch and, you know. Are you interested in Stephen Hawking? I am, because I feel like one day I'm pretty sure my head leans the same way as his. Uh so <laughs> we might become like, okay, if I had to uh, go out for Halloween, I'd basically need an iPad and I could be him, you know. I guess that's true. Yeah, so... But I feel like you, you're you much more handsome than he was at your your age. Well, it's, I don't know how to respond to that. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> just, just leave it. Like, I appreciate the compliment, but <laughs> at the expense of a dead man? <laughs> <laughs> he lived to be like 76. I mean, that's like 120 yeah. in cripple years. No, dude, that's like 200 years old in ALS years. Oh, that's so true. He was supposed to live for like two years. So yeah, I mean, come on. He was a dinosaur. He, yeah. he led a good life. Oh, we, we should figure out the age calculation for how old you are compared to me in, in our disability years. That's impossible to calculate. Why? I'm, I'm older than you, right? For sure. I, I, I guess. Like twice as old, maybe. Prob- yeah. Right? Is yeah. that a fair yep. Yeah, these comparisons like kind of make me uncomfortable. Right. But it's, I guess you it's feel like, like shit for complaining about your feet all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's what I'm trying to do. Okay, well, let's let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so we watched this movie. Yeah, we watched it. And I was really hoping that you'd like it because as we've talked about, you know, every time we watch a movie, you're always like, um, I don't think I'm going to like this movie. Right. And I don't really want to watch it. And I'm usually like, fuck you, I don't care about your feelings. Let's watch the movie. You don't care. We watch the movie, and I'm nine times out of ten, quite literally, because it's the tenth episode, uh, you like the movie. Yeah, quite often I end up watching it with you, and your attitude is contagious. Right, I appreciate that. That's a better compliment than telling me I'm look, looking better than a dead man. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Nine times out of ten, we uh, watch a movie, and I end up being converted. You kind of open my eyes to 
the appeal of the film? Well, not even just the appeal, but like, I always have to respect the fact that there, even if it's a bad representation, because we're so close to it, if there is disability in the media, that's honestly good for us. Yeah, it is like even a bad cripple film is progress. Exactly. I would agree with that, probably. Well, because a lot of the reasons we don't we think it's bad are reasons that mass populations that go to see it are going to dislike it. Yeah, because the movie's not made for us. But that's one of our key con- that's one of our key concerns is that you know wheelies made about wheelies should be made for them. Absolutely, and like I have criticisms about this movie, fairly strong dislikes for parts of it. But I think that's only because we're watching it through this lens, which obviously is good. Otherwise, why would we even be doing this podcast? But that said, I still think it's better than no movie, which is a very I mean, that's a low bar. Exactly, it's a very low bar. that's a super low bar. So, a theory of everything is a film about Stephen Hawking, and it's okay. it's a it, it it's a traditional genre picture biopic. And it in no way strays strays from all of the many tropes of that genre. I mean, the formula is basically to take a a famous or notorious person and uh, tell a story about their private lives, like with like tangential references to the most culturally recognizable or coherent elements of their professions. Um, And so like if you if you were to watch like the half dozen most popular or prominent biopics in the last 15 to 20 years you would notice that most famous people seem to live very similar lives <laughs> which is actually not true it's just um a product of the movies yeah it's just like uh, hollywood being creatively destitute uh and unfortunately a theory of everything is has really nothing to say. <laughs> and that's really sad. Well, A Theory of Everything was also written about, written as a result of the book by his wife. Yeah, it's a, it, the screenplay was adapted from a memoir uh, written by his first wife, uh, who was married to him for 25 years um, and like is very much like a compelling and capable authority to sort of tell the story of their lives together obviously she had a phd in spanish poetry uh which is interesting wasn't that his second wife no oh she also was into literature his second wife was was named elaine she was his attendant oh wait yeah no i i'm thinking of because of that yeah 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 yeah. anyway never mind and i kind of read reviews of the wife's book obviously i didn't go and read the book myself because i was kind of so uninterested in the in the movie that i felt like i shouldn't know more about stephen hawking than the movie did and to be honestly like to be honest with you i feel like i took a shit this morning that knew more about stephen hawking than the theory of everything did you know well, i don't really want to know what that means to be honest. <laughs> did it have four teeth on the bottom or something yeah and it had some ideas about black holes Right. Uh, and it just got progressively weaker as it came out. <laughs> exactly. The thing is, like, when you're going to write a movie 
that so many people are gonna see for Stephen Hawking. Nobody's watching that movie to find out what was it life what was it like to be his wife? Maybe they are. I mean that could be that could be compelling if it's sufficiently detailed, uh, if it has like a, a deep and empathetic understanding of their dynamics. Like if that marriage was key to to him succeeding in life, if it was central to keeping him away from institutionalized care, then it's in, then it's incredibly relevant. But I read that a lot of what she said in her book was completely not even in the movie. Like major, obviously every movie does that, but like major plot points were given out of order to make it more appealing for Hollywood. And yep. like that just seems so wrong. It's obviously it's contrived and that's how these movies are made. But the intention doesn't seem like it was in the right spot when you do that. Well, like if it was adapted from her memoir, then it should have been more clearly from her uh, point of view. Like um, in her book, she discusses like at length, like elements of her studies. She kind of integrates her academic career into her sort of parsing of her understanding of her husband. Um, And so like that sort of vantage upon him would have been really unique and novel and difficult to adapt into a screenplay but if they had succeeded then they would have made a film that i would have been interested in deconstructing or uh appreciating and unfortunately they didn't do that um so i was thinking about like biopics that have actually worked over the years like you think um like ray uh starring uh jamie fox was like just incredible there's uh, Amadeus, uh, which deservedly won a whole bunch of Oscars and is like a very timeless film. Is that about Mozart? Yep, Mozart. And it's so, it's so, so good. And there's also a so- The Social Network, uh, which like against all odds is like an incredibly captivating movie. How the fuck you make a movie about the politics of developing an app and not make it just dreadfully boring and full of bureaucracy and just uninteresting politics is so cool. And it's like so fundamentally cinematic at the same time. Yeah, yeah, like traditionally, it's super hard to make people sitting at a computer like cinematically interesting. But they totally do that with the social network. And it just has like a fantastic soundtrack. And it's like responsible for uh, Jesse Eisenberg being considered like a successful actor <laughs> against all odds. So yeah, uh, there's also, I think I thought of a couple more examples. Um, uh, The Queen's Gambit is not necessarily a true story, but it's based off of the life of a a famous chess player, sort of uh, tangentially. Do these all have something in common? Well, to me, um, it's really hard to make a movie or a biopic about a real life person if their profession doesn't necessarily like lend itself to the medium of film, or if you don't figure out a way to translate it to, to the screen. And maybe that sounds obvious, but you think like Ray was so good because uh, you, you know, like Ray's music uh, is just like really f- great to see and hear in a theater. Uh, and Amadeus is kind of the same thing. Um, the Queen's Gambit, uh, managed to make people think that they cared about chess. 
you know, in spite of Netflix's marketing being kind of like salacious and overly sexual, like there's pictures of Anna Taylor Joy, like practically filleting a, a chess piece. And so you figure it's like a sex show about uh, a board game. But actually, like <laughs> it, it, it makes you interested, like it, it, it created basically like a fucking rocky underdog narrative around a chess player. And it, 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 was, it was so compelling, like in every dimension. So you wanted to get interested in physics when you wanted. Yeah, I wanted to like I wanted that movie to um use interesting little vignettes and fourth wall breaks maybe the way they do in the big short to kind of explain um like elements of quantum mechanics and quantum theory that Stephen Hawking was interested in or to <clears throat> to basically boil down his ideas about uh buttholes or uh, black holes to uh to to the layman okay but let's go under the premise that the movie was not written about stephen hawking because it clearly wasn't and they're pretty open about that the fact that it was written about it's a screenplay about the book written by his wife about being his wife the book is called something like on my way to infinity with stephen or something like that I guess, but if I, I mean, if the film had accurately captured his his genius and like his impact on the collective culture, like if it had sort of convinced us that he it was a significant man instead of just casting uh, like Confetti Redmayne or whatever his name is, <clears throat> and like making I don't know, he's just like so useless that that guy. I really dislike him. Wait, 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 wait. That was a fantastic act. No, it wasn't, Tony. It was just, Why? it was because it was, it was cripple porn. Like well, the old, the only, like, what, what, that's what he was hired to do. I he know was he was hired, hired to do that, but that doesn't make it okay. I mean, the, well, it makes it a good job. Sure, it does. It's the magic trick that keeps people watching because they want to, they want to like gawk at the realism of his like gradual decline. That's all they fucking want to do. Yeah, that's the same thing as DDL in my left foot, though. I suppose so, but at least Daniel Day-Lewis, like, appeared to want to understand um, what's-his-face's, like, state of mind, and he, like, lent an element of humanity to him. There's no voiceover narration uh, really, like, uh, giving us an idea of what's going on in Confetti's mind, in Eddie Redmayne's brain. Why do you call him confetti? Yeah, because he's a clown and I dislike him and that's the only way I could think of uh, <laughs> undermining him. That stupid Jupiter Ascending movie, like that man really should not have a career. I, I liked his performance. I And, and your opinion matters. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm glad we've, we've started going to couples counseling. That's really helping our relationship. <laughs> At the very least, let's, let's talk about some of the good things. Because the movie wasn't just zero out of ten. No, no. Felicity Huffman. Uh, sorry, Felicity Huffman. That's not her name. It's Felicity mm. Jones. Felicity Jones. Felicity Huffman is uh, a desperate housewife. The acting is good. Like you can hate Eddie Redmayne for weird reasons about other movies, but mm. he was hired to accurately and emotionally convey Stephen Hawking during his physical decline yes i think he did that very well fine right like, yeah he did do that well 
There's no way you can even argue with that. I I looked at him and I thought that guy does a great impression of a severely crippled man. And then I clapped. Well, good for you. You know who couldn't clap? (laughs) But like, not only was it any crippled man, like he looked very much like Stephen Hawking. And you can't just show up to work and then all of a sudden have ALS pretend. Yeah. Like, you know that he put in the background work. He did the research. Yeah. Like, you got to give him some credit for that performance. For sure. So, like, I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not going to agree with you on that for sure. Well. I get your point. Like, I do think overall the movie did not focus enough on Steven. It, it focused too much on empathizing with when his wife started to fall out of love with him. Yes. Which was uncool at best you can say that it is a compelling uh exploration of compassion fatigue which is a thing that happens between disabled people and almost everyone close to them at some point throughout the relationship caregiver burnout at the very least yes i think she still had compassion for him at the end uh i think the fame got to him you know, I did a little bit of research about him, yeah. and I've I've followed his career somewhat loosely while he was alive, because yeah. like you know, he was arguably the most famous really ever. Yeah, but you have to think that someone like with the confidence to make accurate conjectures about the nature of the infinite universe probably has a boundless ego as well, and I'm not making excuses. Like, I also did read that he was a difficult man, but who under that kind of scrutiny, both physically and professionally, would not be a difficult person? Maybe, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she has to just be like, of course he's going to be difficult and then be okay with it. No, where I have compassion for her is that she, like, was... She was given the task of caring for a severely disabled man whom she loved. She wasn't given the task. I Or sorry, she fell into the, I mean, she accepted the role she of his caretaker. volunteered. Yes, like not knowing probably. Well, I mean, I think when the doctor says you have two years to live, either she's kind of a dick and she was like, oh, well, I could do this for two years. Yeah. Or he outlived that and then, you know, like, if if that was where her head, at, head was at, where she's like, oh, two years? Okay, yeah, I can sign up for that. And then he outlived that and she was unhappy because she's like, oh, I thought you were going to die, dude. Well, I mean, she had three kids with him, so she obviously wanted him to live a long life so that he could be a presence, so he could be a father figure, I would think. I would hope, and also, like, at least the portrayal in the movie by Felicity Jones uh, makes you think that she was very compassionate the whole time. Yeah, her whole marriage was essentially a dilemma, it seemed for her, where she she loved Stephen and the idea of having a family with him and being close to him, but then at the same time had needs and conscious or unconscious expectations that she could not satisfy, which on some level makes sense, but is also kind of 
bullshit. But at the same time, you have to think, I guess, that the very notion of having care, like probably the, the tenets of his care, like were not easy to establish. And so it's just basically unclear how to proceed with that, with that life. And so she's having to trailblaze uh, while looking after her husband, while raising three kids, while pursuing a doctorate, while, while, while. And there's also the, the undertaking that is like a high profile celebrity. And as I understand it, I don't think he, like he may have had a lot of notoriety, but not necessarily a lot of resources at the beginning of his career. Like by by the end of his life, he was worth twenty million. Yeah, I don't know how physicists make their net worth. Yeah, by the way, that's one tenth of the paycheck that Jack Nicholson got for playing the Joker in the nineteen eighty nine Batman. So, I mean, if you weigh those two contributions to the collective consciousness, he didn't get paid all that much. I don't think physicists usually make actor money ever. Yeah, but I mean, if you're like world renowned, if you're if. If you're literally like what they base like the wheelchair accessible bathroom symbol on, like if you're that level of of famous cripple, which is not true, I was just trying to exaggerate for a joke that didn't land. <laughs> he had to pose. Yeah, his side profile. Yeah. Actually, now I need to look that up. How much Jack Nicholson got paid for Batman? Because I'm wondering if it was twenty. It had to be only twenty. There's no way he got two hundred billion. <laughs> There's no way he got 200 million. No, he got There's no 20. way anyone got 200 million for any role ever. That's so true. Yeah, like that's, yeah. Sorry, guys. Yeah, he, he got 20 million. So he got paid and his light, his net worth is exactly what Jack Nicholson got for one role. <laughs> yeah, but nobody, you shouldn't be apologizing. Nobody should be listening to this going, I need to get my facts on Hollywood salaries here. That's true. Do not come here for any facts ever. Even about wheelchair stuff. I'll tell you every fact we've ever made is wrong, probably. All of them. Yeah. You, you only come here for feelings about wheelchair stuff and for yeah. random covers of Alanis Morissette songs before <laughs> feeling up to it. The one thing that got me confused in the movie was who you're supposed to root for. Yeah. Which is like a common complaint that I've heard with these wheelie movies because yeah. it's like they want the wheelie to be the protagonist. But then they also want to applaud people around them for loving the wheelie, which I understand if that's a conscious decision to like try to empower people to be okay with emotional connection to disabled people. That's cool, I guess. Yeah, the the role of protagonist has to be distributed between the wheelie and the person who looks after him or her because... um, there's too much potential for a general audience to be too far away from a wheelie's experience to really think of them as a hero. Like, for God's sakes, like, we live in a culture that has trouble with female protagonists, let alone, you know... Uh, wheelies? Wheelies. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, throughout the movie, I was kind of going back and forth, like, do I like her or not? Because at the beginning, she seems like the perfect woman. She's super sweet super caring to him, finds out about his diagnosis, and even though he's pushing everyone in his life away, which is an understandable reaction, she basically says, like, I want to love you, but you need to let me. And he does, and they get married, and fast forward, they have a kid, whatever. 
and he's declining physically, and she's just taking more and more of that onto herself. Yeah, and he, like there are, there's a couple of scenes where he flat out refuses her proposal that they hire someone um, from from outside of the family to look after him. Which, from what I read, is accurate to him because I read that he, well, I read that he didn't really like outside help, but there was that one scene that just didn't even feel emotionally believable, where she's like, "I we need help. Our son isn't living a full life." I'm always focused on you. And it was basically right after he nearly choked to death at dinner with the parents or the in-laws or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's implied that, that keeps happening. So obviously they need the help. And she's like, you know, I, I, I need this help. And he says, we're just a normal family. Keep moving. But like, it would be interesting to play on the fact that he is by definition, a genius, right? Stephen Hawking is in the record books as one of the noteworthy scientists ever. But a physics doctor does not guarantee emotional intelligence or empathy or, 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 or. No, in fact, there's kind of a, a running theme throughout the movie that it it's almost stopping him from connections to God and stuff like that. And you can kind of draw the line through that. There seems to be a pervasive joylessness in his entire life. Like he's completely devoted to his studies. Yeah, he's snooty and just kind of rude. And she keeps on trucking, but then eventually does get the help from that one guy who runs the church choir. Right. I think there's a religious component to her studies as well. Like God is a strong factor in her life and it's a point of contention between her and Stephen that he does not believe in God but it's also something that seems to like cause enough friction between them for chemistry if you know what I'm saying <laughs> but uh so yeah so she she ends up her church choir leader is also a recent widow and he quite fancies um Jane uh but he also uh, develops a friendship with Stephen, and according to the movie, becomes an integral caretaker of Stephen's as well as the children. So there's this kind of suggestion that the three of them are uh, like a unconventional f- familial unit. Um, and I also sort of read uh, a little bit more around that period of their lives, like in the mid to late seventies, and it seems like they did carry on. Like Jane and Choir Boy did carry on uh, an affair during that time. And she continued to stay with uh, Stephen throughout it, which is why there was some doubt. Did they actually? Because I read that yes. she was like, oh, no, we didn't. I think I read otherwise, like because she admitted to having an affair with him, hmm. which is why it was such a point of contention. Uh, about the paternity of their third child, which I also kind of found insulting because even his family didn't think that, you know, Stephen could get his rocks off past a certain point of disability. I think that's a parent thing. Yeah. I don't know, like a a a specifically a parent of a wheelie. Yeah. I've been there before where it's like, I'll be like in relationships with people 
And <laughs> my parents were like, mm, yeah, I don't know what's happening, but it's not that. <laughs> they just like, they don't even consider that it could be possible, even though you could literally have your tongue in their throat, like while they're thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to touch that. But oh, sorry. All my imagery today seems to be a little, little bit off kilter. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, yeah, it sounds like there there was like extramarital stuff and weird boundaries being broken all over the place. And she decided to stay with Stephen for at least a quarter century um, uh, for for stability for the children. Um, and their their divorce was quite messy, which is why the very first draft of her memoir was less flattering toward him. Uh, and then once he broke it off with his second wife, Elaine, uh, who was one of his attendants, she revised the uh, memoir to include their sort of golden years where uh, Jane and Stephen were friends. So that's kind of cool, I suppose. But the movie didn't reflect any of that. No, it didn't. The movie was like a, like a quite a an asexual uh spoke opera is what i'll call it a wheelchair soap opera (laughs) did you write that down i sure did spoke opera that's right that's what happens when i write my jokes down (laughs) they're shittier than this movie if you can believe it no 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 that's better than the movie for sure well thank you but that's not saying anything okay so i still want to focus a bit more on the good because there was potential, at least. Like you said, I think that if it was about the dynamic of a spouse being the primary caregiver and the struggles that go around that, that could have been more interesting. But I don't like, like when, so there's this one scene, right? Remember when she, the wife, Jane, is they're camping or something? They're camping and she leaves the tent while Stephen is out with a friend at an opera, a spoke opera. Oh, okay, okay. So they go to some event at which Stephen has to speak. Right. And it's in the summer. And uh, Stephen decides to attend the event with one of his students rather than his immediate family. So Jane takes um, the kids and their mutual family friend slash Stephen's caretaker, the choir boy, to like a camp out. And there's an allusion to Jane sneaking into the choir boy's tent. Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. And then pitching his tent, if you know what I'm saying. So it's a double two tents. <laughs> double on tentra. <laughs> yeah. And but the thing is, like they just sort of show her, like it's very British. She's just like, oh, choir boy, can I please join you in your tent? And, like that doesn't happen, but it's almost like the movie's too conservative to show them uh, embracing each other or fucking, which is really annoying because that's what actually happened. Well, I don't, I still don't know if it actually happened. But what I didn't like about that whole scene was it was shot in a way where we were supposed to empathize with her in making that decision. Yeah, it was. It like sort of seemed like uh, it was necessary. Like the movie spent some time building up the sexual tension between Choir Boy and Jane so that we like would finally understand when she needed that release in the tent. Yeah, but it doesn't 
seem fair. No. That definitely doesn't cast disabled or interabled relationships in a very good light. Think about if you're an audience member, like general purpose, able-bodied person X, and you're in the cinema and you've paid the ticket to watch this stupid fucking movie. And you're also kind of like thinking like, yeah, it must have been really fucking hard to look after Stephen Hawking. I don't blame her. And that's that. Yeah, that's, where, that's where the movie's at. Right. But that's terrible because yeah, it is. It's never an excuse. No, it's not. That infuriated me because maybe because I've been on the receiving end of that stick, but like just because you're married to someone who is Stephen Hawking and is disabled, just like be an adult and get a divorce or whatever you have to do. Like, it's not acceptable to be like, my life is hard because I've, she fully knew that he was disabled before they even started really dating. Yeah, well, they were in the honeymoon period then, Tony. And yeah. in, like when you, when someone is the apple of your eye, you'll look past everything and anything, all red flags, all hurdles. But you just want to love them, you know? It's that's just, it's the prime of the relationship and they are just everything. Sure. But what, what is the point? What is the uh, movie trying to accomplish when it's saying, look at this hard choice she has to make? Do I love my husband who's in a wheelchair or do I empathetically have sex with uh, the caregiver? Well, it's trying to ease us into this. I, I understand what you're, I understand your frustration because I feel it too. I hated that part of the movie. I was like screaming at the screen, like, don't you do it. You have to think though, in the 70s, divorce is probably not all that common anywhere let alone like protestant england or whatever or she was catholic for christ's sake so you're defending her i don't i guess i guess i am i don't really want to be but she is probably mortified by the prospect of divorce more so than by the idea of deceiving stephen and you could rationalize the deception by calling him emotionally unavailable do you think they depicted him in a bad enough light, arguably a realistic enough light yeah. for her to be empathized with in that situation. I feel like the movie like strategically avoided providing a three-dimensional portrait of Hawking yeah. because the better developed he would have been, uh, the more or less we would have been on uh, Jane's side. I don't know if that's true, though, because apparently from what I can gather from reading about him i the more famous he got and it happened pretty quickly the more famous he got the more he became and i think this is a direct quote an all too powerful emperor or something like that well i mean it makes sense that celebrity and like academic success would have gone to his head and i don't think you can discount the fact that he was getting progressively more disabled like that does yeah. make you sort of like tighten up your defenses a little bit. I've definitely been there because it's it's almost fear, right? You're, you're afraid of losing more, so you hold on so tightly to the things that you have. And right. some of those things are like the people around you or the care that you're getting or any little thing that you can basically keep control of mm -hmm. because there are certain things that 
um, no matter how hard you try, they're going to slip away from you. And that's true for everyone as they get older, but it's just more profoundly embedded in your psyche when it's a result of a disease that you deal with and it basically makes you age at a very rapid rate. But yeah, like he's essentially um, at risk of becoming locked in at some point. He's very vulnerable. And so it only makes sense that he latches on to um, any aspect of his life that allows him to shift the power dynamics away from or, you know, to regain some control of his life. Well, that's how the movie started. The doctor was like, he was like, will it affect my brain? The doctor goes, no, your thoughts and your feelings won't be affected. Uh, but eventually nobody will know what they are. Can I just say for a moment of levity, potentially, um, one of the aspects of the movie that I found kind of frustrating was that it seemed like um, as a kind of visual shorthand for the progression of Stephen's disability, that the back of his chair kept getting taller and taller. Yeah. Did you notice that? Absolutely. Even though he kept getting shorter and shorter, uh, yeah, which I yeah, didn't like, understand, because his back was straight, mm-hmm. like his spine started straight. He was able to hold his head up, and then he obviously started like getting that scoliosis that we all know and love, right. and his spine started twisting like a corkscrew. So, do you think that his backrest was getting taller, or his neck was just getting shorter? <laughs> and it looked taller in proportion to the rest of him. Right. No, it was definitely just getting taller and taller. It was this weird visual signifier of his increasing uh, invalidism. Uh, you know how, like, when people get famous and they get more money, their t- the back of their chairs get taller. The the back of their chairs get taller, and uh, their attendants get more and more attractive. But in Stephen's case, the latter part was definitely true. But at the end, and I don't want to sound like I'm bashing a dead dude, he had like four teeth sticking out the front. And it's just like, I feel like if you have $20 million and everyone knows who you are and wants you to succeed, and essentially everyone was rooting for him to live forever, I feel like he could have had better equipment than what he was rocking. And I don't know if that's true, but I'd like to think if I had $20 million, and 4T sticking out, I'd find some pretty sweet dentists around. There's a chance he probably wouldn't have survived the anesthesia for an elaborate dental procedure. That's true. Because at the point when his trachea was installed, like he had severe pneumonia, and they were concerned that they weren't even going to be able to wake him up out of the coma that they induced. Yeah, I've I've woken up from a few anesthetics because they are afraid of giving me too much. Yeah, that's terrifying. It's crazy. I could tell you some crazy stories of waking up during surgeries. Oh, please don't. I'm I'm already starting to get pale just thinking about it. Good God. When you, oh, it's crazy shit. I remember like one line. I won't tell you the details, but I remember waking up during a surgery and going, so I'm awake and I can feel that and it hurts. And the doctor kind of like turned to see me and you could see like the, his eyes were like, oh no. Oh God. And then after the surgery, he apologized. I'm going to pass out, dude. And that surgery has ever since been slightly botched. And I've like pleaded with doctors to fix it. 
Um, but they're all like, I don't want to go do it again, which I understand. So, yeah, I get it. I just, I don't, I don't want to make it feel like the, the whole movie was terrible. Because it does have some stuff going for it. I, I was just going to say it's, it's a movie about a guy in a wheelchair, but it really barely is about him. He kind of drives the plot, but the story's not about him. Your your heart isn't invested in what happens to him. It's more about how other people cope with him. Even even when the movie gives him his like superhero moments when he gets to stand up in front of a math class and point at the equation, like they're very very brief and they're like too afraid to delve into any 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 idea of what made him a genius. Oh, remember that scene where he was giving the lecture? And there was a pen that some student dropped. That was at the end of the movie. Yeah, then there was like a 30-second clip of him fantasizing about being able to pick up the pen. It was that classic scene that they have to have in every movie with a disabled person, or at least three that I can think of, where the wheelie morphs into an able-bodied person very slowly. Like, they gradually just sort of correct their deformities as though it was a choice. And then they slowly get get up out of the chair and there's like they're like backlit like angelically and like the music like um yeah you could hear a pin drop and they stand up and they walk down the stage and they pick up the fucking pen and give it to a beautiful girl and for for a brief moment they feel like ambulatorily relevant and it's so fucking stupid but the reason they did that i think is because it was the moment when he published his first uh, most famous book, like A Brief History of Time. And it's during his acceptance speech and someone's asking him about the meaning of life or something. And apparently some part of the meaning of life is in metaphorically picking up a pen. A oh, fuck you movie. I don't get you and I don't like you. I mean, it is. It, the meaning of life is picking up pens. And then what? Writing with them, giving them Some, to pretty pretty college students. Yeah. What else? What happens after? How many? You've never had a fantasy. Like, tell me when you were getting your. Oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this phrase. You were getting your toes slathered by that nurse. Oh yeah. You never once were like, I wish I didn't have to be here right now. Yeah, that fucking appointment cost me seventy five dollars. Yeah. For me to trim, like, for him to trim my toenails, even if it was free. Would you want to be there? No, of course, of course not. If it if it was free, there would be something even slightly more pitiful about it. Yeah, <laughs> we pay you. Yeah, yeah. Do you just collect your toenails. Yeah. <laughs> I really hate that I had to bring it back to that, but I, this movie just drives me nuts. Yeah, it really does. Because I I really wanted to like it. I really did, and. You're everything you're saying is true. Like they didn't give him enough uh character, really. They didn't let him be a star. His Eddie Redmayne, although I'll still argue he did an amazing job in the role. The role was just let's see how accurately you can be Stephen Hawking physically. That was that was his whole job. His job wasn't like Let's make the audience aware of the struggle Stephen had to go through to still become one of the most recognized scientists in the world. 
the it wasn't about his accomplishments. It it wasn't even really about his journey in that moment. It was just her and how hard it must be to date a disabled man or marry a disabled man. The other sad and inappropriate thing that I think is finally being like scrubbed away or out of entertainment is this idea that both Hollywood and viewers enjoy when an attractive, symmetrical actor is willing to uglify themselves in order to play some kind of malformed or um, flawed individual like Charlize Theron uh, in Monster or Anthony Hopkins in Elephant Man. You think that's going away? I don't know if it's going away, but I feel like it's less acceptable. Like, I feel like people will fight that now. I don't think that's true. This movie's not even that old. Well, this movie came out in 2014, which was right on the cusp of this kind of movement for better representation of other people's experiences in popular culture. What about Christian Bale, like, in Vice? That was a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, that's true. But Christian Bale's a freak. <laughs> uh, I Like, they probably didn't even ask him to gain fucking uh, 300% of his existing body. Yeah, weight. they're like, you're fine the way you are. And he's like, no, no, I'm not. He's like, I he's didn't like, do this job to stay who I am. <laughs> he had a donut in one hand for three years straight. I remember I once had a doctor because I was, I was like 60 pounds. I was super skinny. What, when was this? Uh, up until like 2009. Like, uh, basically, when I got to university, I was so unhealthy. That's why I got the feeding tube because I kept getting pneumonia over and over again. Eventually, I got a pneumonia that the doctors think thought I didn't think I would survive. And so they're basically telling my parents, like, brace yourself. He's not going to make it through this one. Man. Like, your life is anecdotally more interesting than any crippled movie ever made. Well, I don't think it's interesting. So, like, I was on a ventilator, like, intubated, and the doctors were like, they'd already, it had already been a discussion, like, for a year or two before that. Like, one day, you'll probably need to get a feeding tube. That's something that people in your situation often end up with, and, you know, it's probably going to happen to you. So I wasn't expecting it to happen that quickly. And I don't want to make it seem like I'm totally the victim here. The reason I ended up with pneumonia was because I partied way too hard during my the end of frost week. First year? No, second year. I was a facilitator. Oh, yeah. And it, we had like the facil party, which is just this big party at the end where uh, Frosh and Facils all kind of party together and you're allowed to break all the rules that you weren't allowed to break during, which is essentially, you know, don't hook up with the first years. And I drank an obscene amount very quickly, very early on. And because I was so skinny, my meals were like insured. Like I was drinking those liquid meal supplements, meal replacements. And so for breakfast, I had, I remember I had a second one because I knew I was going to be drinking. 
Usually I just had one, but I was like, I'm going to be responsible and have two. But then the guy who was getting alcohol for everyone, uh, I asked for like rum and coke and he couldn't, he didn't go to a grocery store. So he just got rum. So I just ended up putting a straw in the bottle of rum and drinking it, thinking I was so cool because like girls would come up to me and be like, damn, you're just drinking rum right straight from, you're a legend. And so that just fueled me to drink more. Man, it's terrible to learn that alcohol lesson uh, by penalty of <laughs> a brush with death. Yeah, so I won't fast forward to me in a hospital that afternoon. Oh, God. And basically, like, I was probably very incoherently drunk. Nowadays, I'm sure because my friends know me, I wasn't really around any friends at that time. So everyone who was around just saw a disabled guy in a wheelchair, like, slurring his words, and they're like, oh, shit, like, we fucked up. So they called the ambulance and whatever that came. Took me to the hospital, pumped my stomach, and I was sick because I had alcohol poisoning. And then that night, I was sleeping. Good reason. <laughs> and I threw up and aspirated. And so I went back to the hospital. That's actually how I met Jeff McCool because his my first morning, the first time he came in to be an attendant was me basically talking him through how to give me chest physio without an ironing board. So Anthony. I was like, I was like, you're going to have to like smack my chest and do all this stuff. And that's when you aspirated? No, I aspirated before that. And that's why I needed the help because I was... And Jeff found you or what? He was coming to get me up that morning. Mm-hmm. And I was very congested and very like full of phlegm and stuff. So he had to come and like do all this chest stuff. So this was before you threw up? No, it was after. I thought you threw up and then went to the hospital. No, I threw up, swallowed it, but then a bit went down into my lung. And so then I was like coughing, trying to get it up. Jeff comes in, tries to help me clear it out. And then basically I end up in the hospital. With that, they diagnosed me with pneumonia. It's very bad. I end up in the ICU with the tube down my throat so I can breathe. My God. And then they were like, well, since you already have the tube down your throat, it would be way easier to do this feeding tube surgery right now so that we don't have to do another whole thing. You're basically already intubated, so we're not too worried about the anesthetic. So they gave me the anesthetic and did the the procedure to give me a feeding tube, which I woke up during, so I could tell you the whole procedure. It was terrifying. Man, it's fucking like end-to-end traumatic. That's terrible. Yeah, the worst part was when the doctor... You haven't told me the worst part? (laughs) Yeah, the doctor pulls a tube out, like the breathing tube, and he says to my parents, uh, like a day later, okay, it looks like he's good. He's breathing on his own, so we're not going to have to give him... We're not going to have to intubate him and give him a trach. And I had no idea that I was even on the table. So they'd basically been deciding whether or not that was going to be the first day of the rest of my life of me living with a trach. And 
Luckily, obviously, I didn't get one, but I did get a feeding tube. And the moral of the story is, you know, I, I don't think I would accept a sponsorship from Crown Royal. So, although it's not, it was entirely my fault. <laughs> Something about that story uh, really frustrates me. Yeah, because I'm stupid. No, because you're just trying to be an undergrad student in second year university and you ended up almost getting a fucking tracheotomy. Well, I didn't know my limits. Yeah. It's a very surefire way to learn them. I've never been blackout drunk since. A lot of people that don't know me, they'll see me having any sort of alcohol and be like, are you sure that's a good idea? And that is a story that just instantly will pop in my mind and be like, I'm pretty sure I know what the worst that can happen is. Yeah, that's true, I suppose. Did I bomb sure? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. That story in and of itself uh, had more to say than the film about Stephen Hawking. The crazy thing is I'm sure Stephen Hawking had to have gone through insane life events like that. And they didn't show any of them. No. Because, again, the movie wasn't made for us. I think it was made for people who wanted to feel good. But I don't even think you left the, me- the movie feeling good, did you? I didn't. I mean, the movie concludes with um, Jane and Stephen basically agreeing to separate but remain friends and pursuing other romantic opportunities. So it's much like My Left Foot. And that it kind of leaves you on this note of both people achieving some sort of happiness, which is untrue because Stephen ends up actually being abused by Elaine only a few years later. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. Sorry, Elaine is his second wife, uh, who was one of the attendants that uh, lived was uh, lived in with him and Jane during the early nineties, I think. So it, actually, there was a bunch of like um, weird boundaries and uh, just kind of questionable ongoings. Wait, so she abused him. What do you mean? I don't know much of the details about Elaine specifically. I didn't read too much into her. Um, but basically, I got the impression that that wasn't a happy arrangement. And apparently, Stephen Hawking wouldn't comment on the nature of the abuse. Do you, do you think it's easier to become famous? If you're able-bodied and disabled? I think it's easier to do everything if you're able-bodied. I mean, yeah, there's a certain amount of infamy. <laughs> in. I was honestly just trying to think of a situation, even like a tongue-in-cheek scenario, but I came up short. What do you mean? Like you're trying to think of a wheelbreakers? A situation where it would be easier to be disabled. <laughs> this is like us trying to figure out what the disabled superpowers are. Uh, it's only easier to be disabled um, if it's your finals in university and you need extra time on a, on an exam. Oh, that's true. Even then, I had one prof who was either really woke or really ableist, but he wouldn't let me get away with anything. He was like, no extra time. I was like, yeah, but it's in my thing. He's like, yeah, but whatever, I just figure it out. I had a prof do that to me too. And I fucking, this is the only time I ever spoke out of turn to one of my professors. You were like, you have to give this to me. I was like, it's part of the terms outlined in my, uh, my individual education plan with the Paul Minton center. You literally have to give me this extra time or else I can fight it with the university. Like I can go to to the Dean with this. Did you do it? 
He eventually conceded, yeah, but I really had to push. That's wild. His name was Leopoldo. Really calling him out. Yeah, well, he was a fucking ass. And they actually took, uh, I mean, I guess we could bleep his name out. They took they took an advanced algorithms course away from him because too many students failed the course in the previous semester. So I feel like there's enough of a of a background of, of uh, he faced enough punitive measures that his reputation, I'm not coming out of left field with these allegations. Yeah, no, I get it. We ended up getting one of our profs fired. But it didn't even, he didn't even get fired. He just moved into like a management position. He just stopped teaching essentially. Well, yeah, they just sort of like buffer like his, his, uh, his class load and, and make yeah. sure that he doesn't have any courses where he could get himself in trouble. Oh, is there anything more you want to say about this movie? I think if they were to, I think they should remake this movie as a television series. Oh, wait. So there is another thing. It is a made for TV movie with Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, which is bound to be garbage. Well, it's another episode, so we'll watch it. <laughs> Fair enough. I think it's it's valid to see if anyone has attempted to do this right. Because Stephen Hawking is such a notable figure that, like, how could they have not done it right yet? Well... When did he die? Three years ago? I think it was it was recently, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, so the movie... Was what, 2014? Yeah, 2014, and he was still alive. I think he died in 20. He was born in 42. So, quick math, he died in 2018. Which means he was what, 76? He was 76 when he died. So, 72 when the movie came out. So, he saw the movie, or he at least knew about it. He did, and he approved of it, but he said that it needed more science. Which I don't think that you could do within the span of a two-hour film. I think it needed to be a mini-series on Netflix, much like The Queen's Gambit. I think they had all the right intentions. They just completely missed the mark. I mean, it was basically uh, just like Milk Toast, Beautiful Mind. It was all of those story beats, but without the conspiratorial elements, like without the superb acting, you know, just just boring bullshit. The acting was good. No, it was, it just fetishized um, degenerative illness. It was all just like, ooh, look at how immobile he's becoming. That's real, though. It, it's like, kind of like a reverse, like a reverse superhero film where, um, you know, in the first like act of a superhero movie, you're kind of like waiting for them to become the hero. And it's like, it's this kind of, uh, it's thrilling to see them gain and discover their superpowers. This was just like the reverse of that, where you're like waiting for him to become the Hawking that we know and love. Oh, remember the ending where they like they had the whole backwards scene, trying to be like real smart about it. Yeah, that was it, uh, so ridiculous. It was so stupid. Basically, just like alluding to um, to how the universe will eventually uh, contract. And when it does contract, then time will move in reverse. And so at the end of the movie, which is the end of the expansion of that cinematic universe, the movie contracts and we see um, Steven reverse to the point where he becomes able-bodied again. And it kind of like leaves us with this idea again that a return to, to able-bodyism is like a win or something. If you're Stephen Hawking, the best superhero power you can have is to turn back time. That's yeah, I guess you're right. 
Maybe that's entirely the reason he decided to get into this in the first place. Because he wanted to reverse his prognosis? Yeah, he could re- rewind ALS. <laughs> I mean, that is like the best case scenario for someone with a degenerative disability, right? I guess so. But again, it presupposes that everyone who's disabled wants to return to some form of physical competency or something, which is annoying. I feel like I'm being far too negative today. Yeah, you, you seem like, like, I feel like it's not all bad. Um, Maybe if we go back to the accent, yeah? Then maybe you'll be able to talk about it a bit more, yeah? Maybe if we do that. To be honest, so so I had a relationship between 2015 and 2017, and it was like pretty happy time for me. She was like a really good person, uh, and I'm grateful for that time. But like when we were breaking up, she cited this movie as an example for like a, a perfectly reasonable trajectory of a disabled romantic relationship. And so Wait. Hold up pin. Okay. So this movie is kind of a thorn in my side. Yeah, well, I feel like you should have led with that. Because that definitely that I, has colored your entire opinion of it so far. Fairly. I mean, that's the reason why I I didn't want to watch this film. Because I knew that in watching it I would I would inevitably have to come to terms with her understanding of the movie. So you had seen the movie or only she had? Only she had. And she had seen the movie and basically went, oh, so it's cool for me to break up with him. Yeah, or it's, you know. But that's exactly the the thing that we've been talking about this whole time that made the movie bad. Yeah, because it, I mean, it was a relatively unnuanced sort of argument for the the disintegration of a marriage or relationship. Yeah, but only because of disability. That's the thing. It, there are many, many interabled couples who are healthy and good together and a good fit and a good match. Good, they'll get married or they are married and they'll be great. There are also the opposite of that where, you know, it's like a codependent relationship and they're feeding negatively off each other and that exists too but the reason that i didn't like this movie and how it portrayed the relationship part of it was because like i was saying about the whole tent scene it makes you empathize with her decision to break up with him or divorce him or not even but just cheat on him well the it also sort of like um um, softens the blow by d- depicting Hawking himself as having a wandering eye. Right. I think like they fell out of love and that's fine. But what wasn't cool is they didn't give him enough character depth. Uh, and they barely really did it for her. She definitely had more depth than he did because the movie's more about her. But if they'd given him more character depth, then the reason would have been more in line with his personality and how that is making the relationship hard with or without the disability. Obviously, the disability is a factor, and it's fair to say that. But like, if you are a good person and you are in a good relationship uh, with another good person, 
and you you guys fit well together, your disability isn't the only thing that can define the success of that relationship. And often it can add to it in interesting ways. Like there are definitely examples of how, you know, like if I've been in relationships before where they do a large majority of my care. And one good thing that comes out of that is when you're in a fight, if you're both healthy people, you can just be like, okay, I need help with this thing. And they're not going to be like, well, fuck, you were fighting. They're going to help you. And it kind of helps you get through the argument or the fight or whatever, because the, the relationship is always moving forward. Yeah, you can, you, can, you can compartmentalize your issues or concerns and address them appropriately. Well, it also helps you work through them. Yeah, because like, you know, if something funny happens during care, then it lightens the mood and then you can more easily address the fight you were just having. But anyway, my whole point is that this movie totally didn't develop him in a way where it uh, gave her empathy to, to leave him outside of, oh, he's gotten too disabled for me. Yeah. I mean, it basically played to like the audience's expectations for the outcome of said relationship. Like it, it validated Stephen Hawking's parents' outlook on his marital status which is totally unfair because relationships are far more complicated than that. By the same token, it didn't really do a good job of conveying the fact that they were married for 25 years. Right. You know, it didn't really showcase the passage of time all that effectively, except to continue to kind of leer over Eddie Redmayne's magnificent portrait of crippledom. You know, that fucking asshole that can't really act, but for some reason... He's the lead on Fantastic Beasts and everything else. I still don't know why you hate him so much. He's just such a clown. I I think he's a good actor. but um, Jupiter Ascending, good lord. (laughs) Like You gave a real-life concrete example of the exact thing that I was afraid of from this movie, which is people watch it and they go, I guess it's hard to date a disabled guy or a person. Because this movie demonstrates how hard it is. And even the most successful, most notable disabled man couldn't sustain a relationship. But that isn't a fair, I'm sure it's not a fair representation of how the uh, relationship ended or even went. Because I actually read that the relationship essentially ended while they were on a vacation together, just yelling at each other. And I was like, wait, how does he yell? Yeah. I have a weird wheel breakers that we might cut if it's too weird. Do you want to talk anymore about? I mean, I don't know if I want to dive deep into my dislike for this film because of my... I think you dove pretty deep already. I guess I did, yeah. I, I don't know. We could parse it further via other movies. You never told me that that happened, obviously. You told me to wait for the podcast. <laughs> No, I told you to tell me while we were watching the movie oh. so that we could decide, but then you never did, and I didn't want to push you into it. I don't really talk about the fallout of that situation with anyone because it's really hard. Like it's it's hard for me to even talk when I when I'm thinking about it. For Christ's sake, when you've gone through a breakup and it feels like your disability is the reason you've broken up, 
Yeah. Or the reason that you that a relationship hasn't worked before it even started. Yeah. It's so, so hard. Like, I've been there before, obviously. Yeah. I've told you stories. Because well, you, you can't change those those things. No. I have an awkwardly timed chia seed stuck in my throat. <laughs> and now I'm going to start tearing in my eyes. <laughs> it's going to seem like I'm just upset about the story. That's a that's a, a a decent rationalization for a display of emotion. It's a good excuse, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just got a chia seed stuck. It's actually the only reason I have smoothies is so I have a good excuse when I'm sad. <laughs> You're just crying for the next twenty five minutes, and it's the chia seed. Yeah. Anytime I feel like a little sinus coming out, I'm like, "Can you get me a smoothie, please?" <laughs> no, I, uh, that's fucked up, man. Because that, first of all, like, I mean, I don't have to say. But I want to. That that isn't a reflection of you at all, because it's very clearly a very superficial conclusion to draw. Like, oh, I saw this movie about another disabled person who ended up not being in a healthy relationship. It didn't work out. They broke up. So I'm also dating a disabled guy. Therefore, it's totally fine for me to break up with him for that same reason because he's disabled. I don't think they think it's totally fine. I just think um, that they think that maybe they have no other choice. What does that mean? I don't know. Like, there is no amount of work that you could put in to try to circumvent the issue that is preventing the relationship from continuing. Yeah, but like you take one example of a relationship that doesn't work and you apply it to your own. Did, did you go around? Did you try to find an example of an interabled relationship that does work and try to apply some of those techniques, you know? Like, that's not a fair conclusion to draw. I can't defend that. Neither can I, which is why I hate this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a fair reason to hate it. And I think you've, you know, given better points than just my girlfriend broke up with me because of it. So, like, your hatred wasn't two-dimensional. And I agree with you on a lot of points, except your dumb Eddie Raymond, Eddie Redmayne thing. Uh, his name is Confetti Raymond. Uh, no, Confetti. his name is, he's a valid actor. I don't understand your content. Oh my God. He's just because he was in a movie you didn't like doesn't mean he's a bad actor. Him and Benedict Cumberbatch, they're just the worst. You kind of look like Benedict Cumberbatch. Don't say that. Not fair. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> Are you serious right now? <laughs> Nucky Thompson is handsome. <laughs> Dude, you put Benedict Cumberbatch beside Steve Buscemi. There's nobody picking Steve Buscemi. Oh, man. I, I have to pee, so I'm having trouble thinking of witty retorts. You can't say the R word anymore. Benedict Cumberbatch has all the charisma of a cucumber. He's just the worst. And just people ascribe him with sophistication because of his Englishness and his like odd alien looking features. But I've never seen him do anything. I've never seen him behave like a human being. He's just riding the coattails of his inherent poshness. And I just want to slap him. You know, I think he is responsible for The Hobbit being uninteresting. Oh he, he totally butchered Sherlock Holmes. Go pee. I don't want to have this conversation. The guy just fucking sucks, man. And it's the same thing with Eddie Redmayne, for God's sakes. Go pee. 
Nobody wants to hear this garbage. I think Eddie Redmayne is single-handedly responsible for undermining Ugh. the late period career of the Wachowski siblings. I, he in no way deserves an Oscar and a BAFTA for his cripple fetishization. Did he get an Oscar for it? He totally did. And he didn't even perform in the last half of the movie. He has like six lines. He performed. Wow, that's just rude. Yeah, I can shrug my left shoulder and pucker my lips. That's what the fuck he did while sitting down and, you know, contorting his legs off to one side and making them look emaciated. You're saying you could do that. I ta- I could do that so easily. I could do that right now in front of you. You could not do it right now. I They could give me a do BAFTA it. for this here fucking podcast if we showed our webcam feed. Yeah, I've been thinking about getting video, honestly. We should, but maybe not for this podcast because there's a lot of pregnant pauses while I processed my pain over my fucking... Well, it would make more sense than the actual pauses because at least people can see your Benedict Cumberface contorting. Yeah, well... All right, why don't you go pee? Because clearly you, your mind isn't working right now. The, the fact that you think that Andy Redman and Benedict Cumberbatch are both... Benedict Cumbersome! They're just better at British accents than you and your Confetti Redmayne and Benedict Cumbersome. <laughs> no, you're you're upset that they're better at British accents than you are. That's true. It's very true. It's very true. I wish there was a disabled movie with James Gandolfini in it. You you just want to be James Gandolfini. It's true. Uh, m- minus the calories. Is your alarm clock in the morning the Sopranos theme song? <laughs> yeah. No, it's just Gandolfini. Hey, wake the fuck up, you stupid fuck. What are you doing here? You start work at 8 o'clock, not 8.30. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, I can't do... I, I, the closest I can do is like the cartoon accent. Like, here's my impression of Furio at the dinner table. Pass it to Pip. <laughs> I can't do Furio, so that was a good one. Pass it to Pip. Come in. <laughs> Spot on, Tony. Are you going to pee? No, I'm, I'm okay. All right, let's break some wheels. We, we had a suggestion to change the name to Wheel or No Wheel. Which is so much more eloquent. It's way better. It's so good. Should we just change it? Yeah, I think we should, but then we probably owe our friends some royalties. Mm. I mean, but Candace is brilliant, so, so yeah, be it. That, that whole household deserves royalties you know they do they don't give themselves enough credit no so we'll give them royalties if and when royalties exist <laughs> uh all right do you want to go ahead or do you want me to go first yeah uh, you go first all right so let's say i can make you fully able-bodied but the catch is this is how you have to talk from now on <laughs> oh my god you just scared me the fuck Ah, ah. Oh no, man! That's a that's that's a tough one. Would you do it, Jamie? Would you do it? <laughs> it has to be that terrifying. Yes. I have to sound like a constipated T one thousand. Yes. Would you do it, Jamie? Would you do it? Oh no! So much of my sense of self is from my ability to speak. Jesus. Uh-huh. That is genuinely a tough one. Would you do it? Everything? No, because I rely heavily on 
my intonation and my ability to talk. You can't deliver a joke with that no. voice unless it's the one that you just pulled off. That, but that's it. Yeah. The, the element of surprise was really what got you. Yeah, I literally spazzed. <laughs> I almost peed myself. <laughs> Is that why you told me to go pee before the wheel breakers? I was afraid you might pee yourself. That's fine. It's COVID. I can pee whenever I want or wherever. We're, we're still working on that diaper sponsorship. <laughs> no, because there's Stephen Hawking. Maybe he was a really funny guy. There's a little bit of hints to his wit. I mean, as funny as a physicist can get. I mean, I have a coworker who has a, like a master's in physics and he's hilarious. Yeah, I guess you have to be philosophical and philosophy can be funny. I, I mean, it's not like every single one of his jokes involves like something involving like Newton's law of something. Yeah, of course. But I feel like it seems like in order to get deep into that, there has to be some part of you that is driving it. And if it's the philosophical part, that might make you funny. Uh, it probably does make you funny, but... I don't think your profession has anything to do with your sense of humor. No? No, of course not. There's probably, like, some really funny um, accountants out there. That's true. But the point I was trying to make, at least, was his only joke that I was able to find was every time he started a speech, he would go, can you hear me? Like, that was a, uh, a really? That's so lame. Can you hear me? Every time. <laughs> that, I mean, that was funny because I didn't expect you to do that, but... <laughs> yeah, that's not funny. Yeah. So I think my answer... No. I wouldn't do it because, like you, I'm, my, my speech is really the only thing... If I couldn't talk, I wouldn't be able to direct my own care very well. And if I couldn't direct my own care, I'd be in a very dangerous spot living here. But again, this in this scenario, you are able-bodied but using this voice. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally forgot how we are. <laughs> but even still, yeah, like, you wouldn't be able to make a joke. I think that the, the, my best way to connect with people is by talking. and. I would lose that, and I don't know, unless I just became, like, super hot, I don't even think that would be enough. Like, if you were Ryan Gosling with a computer voice? You, you... I still don't think that would be enough. To be fair, though, Ryan Gosling doesn't talk. He just stares blankly at the camera, and everyone calls him profound. Yeah, but they know he doesn't speak like a robot. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. That was a good wheel breakers. Yeah, thanks. So, did you give your answer? Would you do it, Jamie? No. Would you do it? <laughs> the answer is no. Uh, Steve also has another thing you wanted to. He passed along to me. I went to a, a, one, one of those mediums recently, and I had a conversation with Stephen, and uh, he he told me, he sent this message along, and uh, I just wanted to pass it along, because I've been curious, too, to be honest. So... Over the years, I have come up with and written about many theories, but unfortunately, the one that I've never been able to figure out still haunts me. That is, what the fuck is the Michelin Man made out of? What the fuck is the Michelin Man made out of? Yeah, what is he made out of? Marshmallow. Why? I I don't know, because he's fluffy. <laughs> 
What is he supposed to be made out of tires? Right? Is he the same guy that gives stars to restaurants? I I think the idea is that that he's full of air, and therefore so are his tires. (laughs) Oh, he's an airbag. Yeah. Maybe that's what he is. He's an airbag. But not any kind of airbag that would, you know, save somebody from a traffic fatality. He's just a spokesman airbag. Like a mattress? Like a blow mattress? Yeah, like a like a malformed sex doll <laughs> that sells tires. And gives stars to fancy restaurants. Oh, yeah. Does the Michelin Man give out restaurant stars, too, for some reason? Right? <laughs> oh, man, this is... Uh, All right, sorry, what was your real break? I... It's time for another round of Wheel Breakers. My Wheel Breakers is stupid. Okay. So, would you give up being disabled, but anytime someone thanks you, you know, whether it's a coworker or your mom or an attendant thanks you for being courteous or respecting their time, um, you have to emphatically tell them to fuck off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh, yeah, right. Like, ever, like your mom. Yeah, yeah. Man, I just talked to my mom, because today's her 80th birthday. Oh, wow, that's amazing. And she thanked me for calling her. That is wonderful. So if I was like, hey, happy birthday, and she's like, thank you, and I go, fuck you. <laughs> but you're not disabled, at least. <laughs> <laughs> But can I tell them that that's my thing? No, of course not. They just have to learn not to thank you. But like, it happens halfway. So like, okay, I'm playing it out. Because <laughs> let's say, like tomorrow, I wake up and I get myself out of bed, which is a dream come true. Because like, oh man, like the other day I had training, someone had to come and watch my call. And literally after, this is, PMI, but whatever. They, I got up, I went to the bathroom, I shaved my balls. Like, I did everything. There was a full call, showered, uh, took a shit. When you say full call, you mean like a toilet bowl full of pubes? Yeah, like it was, did the works. Dude, I don't know if I told you this, but yeah, I told you this. You, you groom with a machete, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a pure like, jungle. I, I use a riding lawnmower, <laughs> and they just drive over me. <laughs> and it still isn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to go over it again with a <laughs> weed whacker. And that still isn't enough. Anyway, it's a long thing. But I went through this whole... I do have a point to what I'm saying. I went through this whole thing where... like. You're never more vulnerable and exposed than that two hours of your life where, like, you're naked and there's, like, an attendant who you've literally never met holding your legs apart so another attendant can, like, shave your balls. There's And then, like, someone's standing there while another attendant is wiping your ass. Then there's another part, you know, fast forward to... Uh, me in the shower and they're watching me and they're kind of just standing there. Is it weird that I'm jealous right now? Jealous of what? Just all all those women just making sure you look good. No, because it's like I have to like fight for the kind of stuff. 
if I didn't have arguments with these people, the only reason people would think I wasn't Bigfoot is because I would, wouldn't be in the forest. Like, I'd be just covered in... I have to twin my armpit hair, man. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> I had to call my biological sister the other day and be like, did my dad, because I don't know my dad. I was like, did my dad have a lot of hair or something? Because it's getting to be annoying. And she's like, she sent me a voice memo that was like, yeah, your dad had hair everywhere. It was on his back. It was everywhere. And that's where it comes from. Your father died of facial hair asphyxiation. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom is from Malta, which is Italian. Who they're also hairy, but then twenty percent like Malta or uh, Malta is also twenty percent Arabic or Arab. So it'd be funny if she's like, "You're not even disabled. You're just um, I have too much weight of hair holding me down. Yeah, <laughs> just burdened by follicles. You just have a debilitating amount of body hair. <laughs> <laughs> Your body's like." I'm working overtime producing this hair. There's no way I can give you leg muscles, bro. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be so funny you shave your hair all of a sudden you have zero muscle atrophy. <laughs> <laughs> That's my curse. Like I have to be I have to have alopecia in order to walk. <laughs> <laughs> what if you're able-bodied but you have no hair ever? That's fine. And then as soon as you grow your hair, you become disabled. So you have to shave to stand. <laughs> that sounds like a weird name for an uh, interesting action film. Shave to stand. Anyway, what was that? the whole point of this was because of your wheel breaker. Oh, but before that, I wanted to say like how annoying it was because I went through this whole call. And at the end of the call, the attendant was like, Oh, by the way, this is so-and-so. And And I was like, yeah, I think we've met by now. (laughs) I'm confused. What do you mean? Like, after two hours of her, because I'd never seen this person before. And she comes in. She's holding my legs apart. She's watching me, like, get my ass wiped and shower down, get dressed. Like, literally, you, you could not be more exposed and more vulnerable. And at the end of all that, I got introduced to her. (laughs) <laughs> what a, a funny concept for a first date yeah. to your wheel breaker's point i feel like there was a reason i brought that story up because you wouldn't want to tell them to fuck off at the end of all that no i, w- I wouldn't have to go through that because i'd be able-bodied true, true 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 right 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 see we both forget how it works <laughs> <laughs> my mom did turn 80 today and i couldn't imagine being like Happy birthday. And she's like, thank you. I'm like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Here's where I was going. So I wake up tomorrow and I'm able-bodied, right? Yeah. So, and then all of a sudden, I'm also kind of a dick. Yeah. Because I start saying fuck you every time someone thanks me. (laughs) Yeah. So I think people will just think like, wow, this dude can walk and now he's an asshole. True. But I think that they would probably empathize with that and be okay with it. And even my mom would just, like, what would I say to her? Because this is how my mom would react. They'd be like, happy birthday, thanks, fuck you. She'd be like, <laughs> what? Anthony. 
What is happening? Why are you why are you being like that? That's what she would say. Yeah. And then how am I supposed to respond? I can't be like, well, Jamie did it. I'd have to be I'd have to be like uh I'm sorry. It's just something that happens. Now now that I can walk. Can we focus on the fact that I can walk? <laughs> and she's like, you just told me to fuck up. <laughs> but yeah, but I can walk now, Mom. And I'll, I'll just apologize, but I'm sorry I said that. She'll be like, thank you. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so it will be hard, but I would do it. Yeah, I would do it. Yeah, it would be hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you poor mother. I didn't think about her when I posed this question. You literally said your mom during the the setup. You're like everyone. Your mom. Yeah, but I didn't know she just turned eighty, <laughs> and she was happy to hear from you. Yeah, she, <laughs> we got like the whole family pitched in <laughs> and got her a gift of a ticket in a hot air balloon ride, which she's been asking for since I knew her, <laughs> and that's how I repay her with. She'd be like, thanks for the gift. <laughs> Fuck you, mom. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh. Hey, Anthony. <laughs> She'd be so disappointed. She wouldn't even be mad. She'd just be like, Anthony, why would you say that? You you'd have to have a job if you caught this if you caught this uh wheelbarrow. Oh, that's good. I didn't even think about work. Yeah. And you'd have to tell your coworkers never to thank you. Because you you could never interview for another position. Can I? You said it has to be emphatically, mm-hmm. but can it be joyfully emphatically? No. Like I can't be like, fuck off. No, 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 no. It can't be like uh, with a note of like uh, gregariousness. It's it's pure. Uh, just fuck off. <laughs> like I'm 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 actually angry that they're doing it. <laughs> I'm actually angry that they're thanking me. Yeah, you 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 immediately think they're scum. I think it would kind of line up. Like if I if if that happened to someone random and they just started being able to walk randomly, and they also said "fuck off" every time you said "thank you," I'd be like, "Yeah, I guess he's been through a lot." Fair enough. I think I think you'd be able to easily get over that. They they would afford you the fuck off. Yeah, I think you'd get away with that. I mean, I get I get away with. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't say that on the podcast, but I get away with speaking my mind. Yeah. You don't want to admit to too many of the cards you pull up with people. Yeah. Like, I don't I, I don't wanna I don't wanna give it I don't wanna give away my secrets. Right. So I guess we should end it there then. All right, fair enough. Uh Steven has one last thing to say. Diak. <laughs> Diak. Diak. Alright guys. Yeah. <laughs>